0: You with us uh, this morning? Thank you for braving the snow. Uh, we we know that there have been so many cancellations and changes of schedule in church world over the last 12 months. We felt like, why don't we just keep our 10:30 service and and whoever shows up shows up. We know we got a lot of friends watching us online as well, and so welcome, glad to have you uh, in the house of God. Hey, one programming note: uh, tomorrow night we're canceling our normal Pursuit night that happens on the first and third Monday of uh, every month and so you want to mark your calendars uh, you could come here still but nobody else will be here and so you could just have fun in the parking lot but uh, tomorrow night with some of the snow and some of the ice uh, we're just going to be as, as, as careful as possible and so stay tuned for uh, some more announcements on some rescheduling of some of those events but we're glad to have you this morning in the house of God congratulations if you made it you are the frozen chosen and so thank you Thank you for, uh, for being here. It's also Valentine's Day. Obviously, as many of you know, some of you may have uh, forgotten, but this year alone, Americans will spend $22 billion on Valentine's Day. $22 billion on Valentine's Day. On average, now this is just statistics from this year, so I'm not sure if it's true for your marriage or not, or your significant other relationship or not, but on average, men will spend twice as much on their partner's then the females will spend on the men. On Valentine's Day, twice as much. And According to a recent survey, the number one most requested gift on Valentine's Day is chocolate. It's not flowers. It's not a birthday card. It's chocolate. The least popular gift on Valentine's Day, again, now this is according to research. I don't know if you've done this or not. But the least popular gift, according to research for Valentine's Day is workout equipment. So if you were planning on giving your significant other like a Bowflex today, just cancel it. Don't do it because uh, you, you will find yourself single uh, for Valentine's Day next year. So anyways, let me help you there. That's just for free. But uh, Valentine's Day, Celebrating it here on this Sunday. Hey, hey, this morning we're going to be at the Gospel of Luke uh, in chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, uh, where week two of our sermon series called uh, Jesus uh, Stories. Jesus uses parables, analogies, illustrations to help point to broader principles in regards to the kingdom of God and its imperative here on earth. Jesus is a master teacher, he's a master developer. He's a master communicator. And all throughout the Gospels, especially the synoptics, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke, Jesus often refers to analogies or pictures in in the world around him, in that agricultural community, around the Sea of Galilee, in the little fishing villages. He'll talk about things that are happening in his world and then, and then he will use them in an analogous way to talk about the imperative of the kingdom of God. And we, we see this all over scripture. Uh, it's taught about uh, quite a bit. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus has just healed the masses. The multitudes have come to hear him teach. Jesus is giving one of his most famous sermons in all of his earthly ministry, it was the Sermon of the Beatitudes, where he's talking about the blessings that come upon a person's life for following the ethic or the imperative of the kingdom. And on the backdrop of Luke 6, as the chapter is ending, he goes into what we now know today as a pretty famous parable or story to illustrate the nature of faith, the ingredients or characteristics of the kingdom of God. In Luke 6, starting in verse 43... Jesus says this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. In fact, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And inversely, an an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In the New King James Version, it says it like this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In verse 46, Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the storm came, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. As Jesus is wrapping up his teaching in this section of of, of his earthly ministry, he shares two stories with the multitudes that had gathered. And essentially those two stories come down to these two central points. A tree is known by its fruit and a house is known by its foundation. A tree is known by its fruit and a house is, is, is known by its foundation. Jesus, under the power of the Spirit, Has this really intriguing way of sharing what seems to be really simple stories to communicate actually really deep truths. And it's the opposite of a lot of people who teach today. They try to sound really profound, but it ends up being really empty. And Jesus is the reverse. He shares something so simple that even he can say, unless you become like a child, you can't understand or inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus is breaking it down so simple for the audience to hear. But when it's received by the Spirit of God, it ends up doing a deep work in your heart and in your life. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating, especially in this context We don't need new truths. We need old truths in a new light. We need to believe simple truths more deeply than we've ever believed them before. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing the New Testament church, he cautions them against being moved away from what he calls the simplicity of the gospel. I think sometimes for us, we've made it so complex. We've wrapped it in so many different cultural constructs. That we have become like the Pharisees or Sadducees and make it impossible for people to come to God. And yet Jesus shows up and he's radically inclusive and radically exclusive both at the same time. He says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he also says, but it's a narrow road, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is taking simple truths, communicating them in simple ways, but what they reveal is a profound revelation of who God is and what the kingdom of God is like. In this context, Jesus is talking about a tree, and he's talking about a house. He's using analogies that would stand the test of time, and I think they communicate something to us of importance today. No good tree bears bad fruit. You know, that word bears comes from a Greek word that means this manufacture, construct, or establish. And Jesus isn't saying in this context that good trees won't have bad moments. He's saying good trees won't establish bad fruit as their legacy because their root system is connected to something healthy. Do you know when a tree gets planted, the roots will grow down sometimes hundreds of feet through rocks and sediment and hard pan just to find water. Essentially, it communicates to us this truth. The deeper your roots the better your fruit. Do you know that for you and I this morning, we are not defined by our worst moment, we're defined by His. The worst moment for Christ on the cross. We're not defined by our greatest mistake, were defined by Christ's worst moment as he hung between two sinners, as all the sin of the world was violently sinned upon him as he made peace between us and God. And this is the, 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 the great idea that, 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 that kind of surrounds our atonement theory or, or what we believe about God making peace between us and him through the blood of the sacrifice of his son, that what we could not pay, Christ himself has paid. And in fact, he has made now peace and reconciliation Reconciled us to the Father, and now we enter in through the veil of his sacrifice into perfect relationship and harmony with God. What was broken because of sin has been restored because of ransom. Christ paid. The price. And so for you and me, we're not defined by our greatest mistake or our biggest failure or the thing that we're most embarrassed by. We're identified primarily by the great price that Jesus pays on our behalf. For you and me, we recognize that sin runs fast, but grace runs faster sickness runs fast but healing runs faster judgment runs fast but mercy runs faster and out of all the things that you're chasing the most powerful thing in your life is the one who's chasing you we've been sought out by God himself he has left the 99 to pursue you that while you were yet a sinner Christ would die on your behalf as Jesus is teaching on the good tree, he's not saying good trees won't have bad moments. It's just like scripture says in the book of Proverbs that all who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. When you understand how that verse is actually constructed, it's better understood through this context. All who hope in the Lord will not be set to perpetual disappointment. It doesn't mean that if you hope in the Lord, you'll never have seasons of sorrow or grief. What it means is that's not the capstone for the legacy of your life. And so when we read Luke 6 and we go, oh, good trees don't have bear, bear bad fruit, but maybe in my life I can could, I could look at some things that aren't fully developed or 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 maybe I'm still struggling with. And and does this mean I'm not a good tree? No, it means you're human and you have bad moments, but when your roots are connected to a system that gives you life your legacy, and your inheritance is set on the goodness of God. And so we're here to understand this in the context of God's great grace and God's great redemptive power to take what the enemy has meant for evil and, in fact, to use it for our benefit and for our ultimate good. Do good trees have bad moments? Absolutely. But if your roots are connected to a river that flows with life, even if this is a tough season, now there's good fruit that's coming. I think some people sign up to follow Jesus, and at the first sign of trouble, they allow the cares of life to choke out what God has planted in their heart. And I can promise you this. If you commit to follow Jesus, you're going to have really great, wonderful seasons, and you're going to have really terrible, hard seasons, and sometimes you're going to ask yourself, what did I do to deserve this? I've been doing everything right. I've been living righteous. I've been doing the things that God has asked me to do, and how did I end up here? But scripture says the rain falls on both the just. And the unjust. That you and I, we, 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 we receive the backlash of living in the broken world that we've inherited that's been broken because of sin. And for you and, 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 and for I, it's important that we don't make an eternal designation about God based off a temporary hardship we face in this life. We are good trees with a good root system connected to a river of life that enables us to sustain even in the midst of difficult times. Season. I want you to see this the tree is growing regardless the only question you have to answer is am I growing according to my roots or according to the culture there is something and someone who is discipling my worldview and it will either lead me to good fruit or it will lead me to bad fruit. I think there's this lie that we've believed about spiritual neutrality. Like, I could just shift my spiritual car into neutral and be good until I want to re-engage. Friend, there's no neutral in the world in which we live. There is something, and there is someone that is discipling your worldview, discipling your family, discipling your sphere of influence. And so as Jesus talks about trees, he says both good trees are growing and bad trees are growing, but the broader truth is that trees are growing so check your roots well, I'm just in a neutral season pastor we're just figuring it out I'm kind of just in the backseat of my faith I'm just kind of coasting here I'm just kind of resting here there is something that's discipling your life and some of us don't recognize what our roots are connected to until all of a sudden we've got bad fruit growing on the limbs of our tree and can I tell you the Lord prunes those whom he loves It's actually the result and the reward of faithfulness pruning so that you can bear more fruit. Do you know that sometimes God will even take good things out of your life so you can produce great things through your life? Do you know that oftentimes the pruning of the Lord looks less like dealing dealing with your sin and more like dealing with things that are below your destiny? He said, hey, let me have that. Come on, let me prune that. Let me work on that. Let me get in that attitude. Let me get get in that mindset. Let let me work on some of your expectations. Let me deal with some of your displaced hope. It's not an issue of sin. It's an issue of destiny. I know what you're connected to. I know what your potential is. I know what your root system is connected to. So let me help you in this season as the wide gardener to prune some of them things in your life. I think for us, we ought to recognize that the tree is growing. The only question is, what is it growing in accordance to? I go through seasons where I really sense the reign of the Lord, the encouragement of God's people, the confirmation of God's calling. And then there are seasons where I'm so grateful that my roots go deep because the stuff on the surface seems to all of a sudden dry up in a moment. And I've got to be grounded in something more permanent than my circumstance or my feelings or my environment or my emotion. I'm rooted in Christ, and therefore I am rooted in community. It's not either or, it's both and. Can I say something to you this morning? The less enjoyment you find in Christ, the more you'll look for it in other places. The less fulfillment you find in Christ, the more you'll look for it in other places. The less acceptance you find in Christ, the more you'll look for it in other places. Our roots are constantly looking for nutrients. And if I don't find it in Christ, I guarantee you it will be found in some other lesser form. Right? That's why for us, the people we're with or the people we marry or the family that God has placed us in can never ultimately replace the things that we need from the Father. Because until you find acceptance in him, it doesn't matter how many compliments you get from your significant other, you'll still be ridden with insecurity. Until you find acceptance and wholeness in him, it don't matter how many therapists you see because there's a missing link in the chain of your heart. Until you first find a home with him, it doesn't matter how much time you spend surrounded by other people, you'll still deal with an orphan spirit until you're first found in him. And the less enjoyment, the less acceptance, the less family system that I find in Christ, the more that I search for it in other places. And for you and I, we've got root systems in our trees and they're searching. They're constantly searching for the water that's underneath the surface. Now, What I love about, what I love about trees, especially when they first get planted, is it's really, really, really hard to determine how great they will be Simply limited to the context in which they were planted. Might look like a little tree with no hope or no help. Might get planted in a rather difficult season with snow on the ground wondering if I'm going to freeze this thing out. But if you tend to a tree long enough, what you'll find is that oftentimes it grows broader and greater than you could have ever imagined. It's there for generations. Its root system goes deeper than you could have ever thought. All of a sudden, the things that were planted in insignificance now have prominence and covering in great significance. And this is why Scripture says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because every great work has started small. Do you know that there's never been a great work on earth that hasn't started small? Even the incarnation starts as a small, seemingly insignificant work. You will find yourself with child. The Holy Spirit will move upon you. You'll birth them in a manger, in a barn, in a city that everybody else has forgotten about. But in the middle of that dark night, the Prince of Peace will be announced as coming on the scene. We don't despise the day of small beginnings because we know that God tests the character and the temperance of our heart with seemingly insignificant stuff. Until you can be trusted with the insignificant. God can't ever promote or use you in the next season of life. My root system testifies to my value system. It shouts, this is what is of most value to the development of my tree. Uh, Jesus, think about him in the wilderness as he's tempted by the enemy. And the enemy says, turn these stones into bread. And and Jesus says, man may not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Essentially, Jesus is communicating this idea. I can't be tempted with the natural because I'm fed by the spiritual. And you will either by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh or by the flesh put to death the deeds of the Spirit. The reality is it's your choice. And my root system testifies to my value system. And my development isn't just about me, it's about others. The Apostle John, when he sees a tree in the book of Revelation, says it's planted by a river that comes from the throne of God itself. And this river causes trees to bear fruit every month out of the year. And not only do they bear fruit every month out of the year, their leaves are used for the healing of the nations. She tells me a couple of things about the tree of your faith. Number one, in every season, there's a mandate for you to bear fruit. I don't mean that in a performance sense. I mean that even in a really difficult season, God can use it, not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of somebody else. That's why you ought to thank God in every season. That's why you ought to guard the attitude of your mind, protect the character of your heart, protect the sanity of your mindset. Because in every season, there's an opportunity for you to bear fruit. Even in my struggle with sin season, yep. Even in my insecurity season, yup. Even in my divorce season, yup. Even in my bankrupt season, yup. Even in my switch in church season, yup. Even when I'm exhausted and tired, yup. Even when I'm fighting with my kids, yup. In every season, out of every month, there's an opportunity for you to bear fruit. Why? Because what you're connected to gives you value. Sometimes we have undervalued our spirit and overvalued our season. I'm just not in a season for that. Well, I thought the Spirit of God lived inside you. I thought the Spirit of God had the ability in a moment to shift a season and cause fruit to come from your life. I think for us in the charismatic world, we use season as an excuse to keep us on the sideline of our faith. There's never going to be a right time. You're never going to be perfect. You're always going to be too old, too young, too rich, too poor, too fat, too skinny. There's always going to be a reason for you not to be involved. And if you always project what God's placed on your life to the next season, essentially what you're saying is my season is stronger than my spirit. The spirit of God takes residence inside of us, gives us strength. Not to be victims of our life's narrative, but to be writers of our life's narrative. We are more than overcomers. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. My development isn't just about me. And Jesus uses the mouth and the heart to illustrate this point. The mouth is the fruit, but the heart is the root. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Hear me, if the dialogue of my life doesn't match the value of Scripture, the issue isn't with my information, but instead my application. For Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? You can't agree with what God says about your life while repeating what the enemy says about your life. I want to show you something this morning. Watch how easy it is to break agreement with the enemy. I'm not receiving that anymore. Right there, you just broke agreement with the enemy. Now, if you still want to do 87 prayer sessions, sign up. If you still want to buy a Mega Church Preachers DVD set on TBN, then sign up. But let me give you a secret this morning, for free. The greatest way to break in agreement with the enemy is simply to say this. I'm not receiving that anymore. It's not my portion. It's not my inheritance. It's not my future. It might have been my past, but it's not my presence. I'm not receiving that anymore. No, the old me would have, but the old me's gone. The new me's come. And even if I had an old me experience yesterday, I'm going to have a new me experience today. I'm not receiving that anymore. And it's really hard to align your life with the value of Scripture while repeating the lies of the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. I think oftentimes we come into subtle agreement with what the enemy says about our life. We wonder why we live defeated, powerless Christianity. It's because you made an agreement with a principality in power that is robbing you every day of the fullness of life that God's promised you. So we ought to learn to change the dialogue of our life. Why? Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I'm always going to be sick. You just made an agreement with infirmity. I'm always going to be broke. You just made an agreement with poverty. I'm always going to be in this dysfunctional family system. You just made an agreement with every demon in hell. See, the problem is the confession of our mouth determines the attitude of our spirit. I'm not going to get anything from this church. You're sure right. I'm always going to be hurt. Everybody's always going to use me. I'm always going to be abused. I'm always going to be a victim. I'm always going to be on the wrong side of every deal. And pretty soon we've prophesied ourselves into bondage. And then we blame the house that we're in for the lack of victory in our own lives. Friend, I'm telling you, it's our spirit that dictates to our season. Sometimes we think about the seasons of God like charismatic horoscope. But it's gonna be my year. Why is it gonna be your year? You got the same attitude as it was last year. It's gonna be another last year just on repeat. You got the same mindset, you got the same friends, you got the same dialogue, you got the same mental images, you got the same things you're prophesying over yourself. Why gonna be different? Well, it's because it's a different year. Well, a years like a days, like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a, a day to Him. Time is our concept, not His. And so I tell you, friend, for you and, and 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 for me, when we change the confession of our mouth, it begins to impact the attitude of our spirit. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, for you and I, it's high time that we just say to the enemy, "I'm not. I'm not receiving that anymore." Scripture says this, even in the book of Genesis. Watch. Everything reproduces after its own kind. That's the law of creation. Stop expecting people to be better than their roots. Jesus says people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. See, that's why scripture says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because your root system isn't compatible. Oh, but I love them. They look this, but I'm tired of being lonely. Look, I'm sure you are, but it's better to be single than to wish you was single. And I think sometimes for us, trying to satisfy a temporary issue we got in our heart, we settle for things below our destiny. We sow into the wind, and what do we reap? The whirlwind. And Fred, for for, for you and, and, and for I, we understand the brilliance and the beauty of what Christ is describing here, using simple stories to communicate profound truths. Unless there's a match in the root system, it doesn't matter how good the tree looks from the outside in. I'm telling you, it won't last. Now watch, verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house. He dug down deep. He laid a foundation. And not if the flood came, but when the flood came. The torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Everyone is building. Everyone is bearing. The only question is, how healthy is your fruit and how stable is your foundation? You know, if you want health and stability in your life, Scripture says you got to dig down deep. Why? Because God builds deep before He ever builds tall. The world promises quick success with no commitment because it values being seen over being stable. But Jesus says if you desire to be seen by man, therein is your reward. But instead work in secret and God Himself will reward you In public. The house without a foundation. The Bible says the moment the storm struck. Watch the words it used. Its destruction was complete. Meaning this. Its destruction didn't start with the storm. It started with the failure to dig deep and establish a foundation. When the storm came it simply finished off what the builder always knew to be true this thing doesn't have a foundation worth standing on. And Jesus uses the imagery of the tree and the imagery of the house to draw the listener in to a descriptive experience by which they begin to value the things that are happening underneath the surface. Everything that you see here and get excited about at the pursuit as it pertains to what God is doing in this community. For everything that you see on the surface, there is 10x happening in places that you can't see. And that's what motivates our testimony. That's what motivates us telling the story of God's goodness. Scripture says this, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And that's why we value the testimony of God, which John says is the spirit of prophecy, which prophesies and testifies to things that have been dead and gone and forgotten, that God is still at work. Why? Because all the excitement that we sense in the places that we can see pales in comparison to the work that God is doing in secret. And can I tell you, if you feel like you're hidden, or if you feel like you're even buried. I've got good news for you. God's planted something in your life. God's planted you in a house. He's planted gifts and callings and anointings in your heart. He's planted dreams and desires and destinies in your life. And that will take you through seasons where you feel like all I am is covered up with dirt. That's okay. God's the gardener. He's getting your root system lined up. You know, foundations aren't pretty. Foundations don't win architectural awards for their beauty and brilliance. Nobody drives by a neighborhood and takes out their phone to snap a picture of all the beautiful foundations that are going in. Oh, guys, you'll never look at these. Never, 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 never guess what I saw this week, man. All these incredible foundations. That every builder knows, if you want to go tall, you first got to go deep. And what if, while you're battling the secret jealousy of somebody else's success, God is actually doing the best interior work in your life that will pay dividends for generations? What if instead of envying what the world sees, you value what the world doesn't? Oh, God's doing a deep work. Man, whether nobody else notices it or sees it or compliments me on it, man, God is doing a deep work. I love that Jesus heals the multitudes, gathers them unto himself, has them sit on the grass, goes up the mount, teaches on the beatitudes, and then goes into sharing simple stories with profound truths essentially this. This is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to have a hidden life in Christ. This is what it looks like to commit your roots to the river of living water. This is what it looks like to allow the master carpenter to build your house. This is what it looks like to follow me. And the stories of Jesus are the ones that most impact and instruct the stories we tell ourselves. We're telling ourselves a story in this community about what God is up to, about what He'll do, about all the promises He'll perform. And I just want to make sure that we're growing in accordance with His value and ethic. That we're founded on things that are unshaken, not if the storm comes, but when it does. That what we will be found is proven, trusted, and tried. That throughout trials and tribulations, the church of God stood strong. The people of God and the family of God stood strong. We might have some battle wounds coming through it, but our eyes are on the Lord. He did a deep work first. And that's why I always tell you, your best days are ahead. You might feel like, man, I'm on the back end of my life. Maybe I'm looking at retirement or maybe I'm already there. And Does God have anything for me? Yep. He about did a 65-year foundation job on your life. Get ready. That's why if you're a young person here today, refuse to give in to the anxiety of life that says your clock is ticking and you better artificially do something right now or else your moment's going to get missed. Fred, when you're in the river, you don't miss a thing. When you're founded on the rock that is higher than you, you don't miss a thing. We're connected to a root system that's going to make sure we don't miss out on one moment of this story. So keep your eyes on Jesus and reduce the spiritual and relational anxiety in your own life. Why? Because God's got it handled. He does a deep work before he does a tall work. Would you stay with me as we close this morning?